Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It is Mississippi State Week on the heels of Alabama's 46-41 loss to the LSU Tigers last Saturday at Bryant-Denny Stadium. It is time once again for T-Watts and TR on the Built by Bama Online podcast. I'm Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, joined by publisher, publisher of the uh, the iconic website at this point. I think you got to sort of use that adjective to describe BamaOnline.com. He, of course, is Tim Watts. Tim, uh, how did you come through that weekend, my man? Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. You know, the Alabama game lived up, you know, sort of what we thought it would be. It'd be a madhouse as far as everyone's in town and and uh, all the hype and all the visitors and two really good teams two really good quarterbacks two uh two very interesting contrasting coaching styles so you know just a crazy game to watch i get i get why the alabama fans were upset in the first half and i forget why they feel you know a little bit better in the second half just a weird game the whole vibe two of fumbling inside the five and um you know, just, just such a warrior effort from him overall, though. You can see that sort of he had to get back in the groove. And uh, what a time to get back in the groove against LSU. So, um, you know, he had to get that feel for the game again. So just a crazy game overall. You know, we had some things, though, sort of come to fruition in that game Saturday. And I think one of those, although we had seen it from this guy, it's sort of been coming for Najee Harris. But that was the Najee Harris, I guess, Tim, that everyone saw three years ago coming out of Antioch, California at the high school level. And what sort of garnered him that number one back in the nation uh, designation, um, that was that dude on Saturday, I thought, especially in the second half. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that just picked him up. And, you know, I think that I don't think that comeback happens the way it did without him. I think he had a few runs. And it started small, and you never know what's going to jumpstart a team. But, I mean, you saw Najee had a couple of runs that would have been three, two, three-yard gains that he turned into seven, eight, or nine. And then all of a sudden you see Jedrick Willis, you know, jumping around going crazy, people snatching Najee up to go get in that huddle. They were really excited. Uh, you could see how that team fed off of him. Tua got more confident. Uh, you know, and I think the biggest part was Alabama just went vertical. They were down 20. They 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 had sort of went a little bit more sideline to sideline than I expected them to in the first half, perhaps respecting LSU a little too much. But they just finally said, all right, let's go. And they're throwing it down the field. And, uh, and again, those wide receivers, I hope Alabama fans appreciate them. You know, it's probably going to be the last year you see all these guys, especially together. So just an unbelievable group, um, a, you know, just an unbelievable group and, uh, you know, just a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, that second half approach on offense seemed to to mesh better with what you had at quarterback on Saturday. In other words, with Tua limited with his legs, it was in the third quarter, starting in the third quarter, it was more of a pro style or pistol approach, 
kind of buoy Tua with a, a running game. And a, you, you said it, Jedrick Wilson. I'll tell you this. No one was more excited about what Alabama did in the gra- on the ground there in the third quarter in the second half than Jedrick Wilson, that offensive line. They absolutely loved getting into some maybe tighter formations and just pounding the rock at LSU. So, you know, it'll be interesting from that perspective with Mississippi State this week and Starkville. Is it an approach that carries over the second half? What we saw maybe more of Najee Harris with some shots from Tua and those wide receivers in the intermediate to vertical passing game. Some things to keep an eye on for sure when Alabama takes on State uh, late morning on Saturday over at Davis Wade Stadium. Now, with where Alabama's at now at 8-1, and one, Tim, 5-1 and one in the league, one of the topics I wanted to hit on with you today, similarities and differences between this Alabama team and some of the great teams that Nick Saban has had here in the last 10 years or so. Where, offensively, uh, I mean, obviously you can look at just last year, um, is, is there any other offenses that maybe Saban's had that, that, that you think sort of resemble this group? Maybe 2014 with the job that Lane Kiffin did with Blake Sims and Amari Cooper. You had a couple of really good running backs on that team. Uh, what are the similarities on, we'll start on offense maybe, between this group and some previous ones? You know, with Blake's group, that is one of my favorite. That was a, that was a guy... <laughs> who sort of, you know, was sort of playing a pickup game in the street. He would drop back and scramble. Had Amari Cooper, who I've never seen covered at the collegiate level. I don't know how people, <laughs> I talk to people and they're like, all you got to do is guard him. I'm like, they are definitely trying to guard him. That dude's just always open. That was really fun to see him throw it. To me, though, I just I just don't know of a good comparison because Alabama's a pass, you know, they're a pass first team. And you got these three guys, possessions are really short. Oftentimes you throw a three-yard you know, you throw a three-yard pass and it's an 82-yard touchdown and you're on the field for 17 seconds. So I don't know of anything that's a great comparison. You know, I was even discussing this over the weekend with some friends. If you look la- at back last year, <clears throat> include Josh Jacobs and Irv Smith, that might be the best collection of skill players you'll ever see in the history of football. And I'll say five years from now, when we look back, that skill set, those players, Najee and Josh and these, you know, these three wide receivers and Irv Smith will probably be as good as most NFL skill sets, any team in the NFL. So I just don't think, you know, when you look at this team, it's hard to compare. Those other teams seem to get into the flow with the running game more. Alabama can run. They do run sometimes, but I think the pass with Tua is what they feed off the most. I think you may look back in terms of missed opportunities when it comes to national championships. And this isn't to say that the 2018 team was a disappointment because when you win, what, 14 games, you win a Southeastern Conference championship against what was essentially, that was a college football playoff semifinal game against Georgia. So you really won the equivalent of two semifinal games last year and beating Georgia in Atlanta, um, you know, and then taking care of Kyler Murray, in Oklahoma and the Orange Bowl, I mean, those are two standalone wins that in a lot of years, either or both, uh, is considered an incredible accomplishment. But for what that offense was last year, because of what you just talked about, not just the wide receivers, not just Tua, and not just, you know, Najee Harris last year. I mean, Damian, uh, Damian Harris, Josh yeah. Jacobs, yes. you know, Irv Smith. Um, it, that may be one in 10 years you look back on and go, 
it's hard to imagine that team not winning at all, but the defensive issues that came up and the offensive issues against Clemson with the turnovers, uh, that was a full three-phase loss for Alabama out in Santa Clara. But what about this defense, this Alabama defense? Um, you know, when I think about personnel right now and sort of the the rocky nature of, of what Alabama's had to endure because of attrition, because of injury, it kind of reminds me, Tim, of Nick Saban's first team. 2007. I know Alabama fans may cringe when they hear that, but just in terms of personnel and a lack of experience in the system and those things, I, I, I kind of have to go that far back, I think. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, it finally caught. We knew eventually this would catch up to them. You can't have so many juniors going pro every year. And, you know, you know, people outside of Alabama, people I talk to, they think, oh, they just plug and place them in there, which is which is true. They've got a lot of recruits, but it's not the same. You can't replace a Dylan Moses with anybody and you can't replace him with anybody, you know, and a true freshman coming in. And and I still think that Shane Lee's did a good job considering the circumstances. You know, most people thought he was going to redshirt. I think Christian Harris has done a good job. I think they got bright futures here um, at Alabama, but. Um, I just don't think oh, this Alabama team doesn't have the same characteristic. It doesn't have the same leaders the other ones did. Uh, I mean, Xavier McKinley's definitely a you know a big time prospect, and you got guys that can play. Terrell Lewis is special, and and Jennings certainly has his moments, and you got other guys that have done well. But you know, basically, what you've got you've got a lot of seniors starting, and and the guys that that weren't good or didn't feel like they were good enough to go pros, juniors. So you got those guys coming in. You got that mix with a bunch of young guys. And you just don't have a real leader, not a real vocal leader on this team. And linebacker is a huge void, obviously. Alabama's always had a <clears throat> Rolando McClain type. They've always had a Reuben Foster. They've always had an emotion. You know, even last year, Mac Brown was an emotional leader. Mac um, Wilson, yeah. Mac, yeah, Mac, Mac Brown. Mac Brown's also an emotional leader. but it, I, think he's out of, I, think he's, yeah. I think he's out of eligibility at this point, but yeah. Possibly, <laughs> yeah, possibly. But, you know, and that's when I look at this defense. If you throw in possibly Mac Wilson coming back and Dylan Moses and, you know, you know even Josh coming back. I mean, that's three big losses at linebacker. Yeah. That was just a lot, you know, just a lot to overcome. Yeah, and you would you would be happy with Deontay Thompson, even though he didn't have the greatest finish to the 2018 season. Deontay Thompson back uh, instead of going later in last spring's draft uh, to go along with Xavier McKinney at at safety. Um, you know, and I talk about that 2007 defense, and that's not meant to knock those guys because really, when you look back at that group in terms of player for player. Wallace Gilberry up front. You take a Wallace Gilberry on this defensive line right now, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you might, you might even take Darren Mustin at one of the inside linebacker spots. You'd certainly take Rolando McLean as a true freshman at 2000 in 2007, even though he was a little bit up and down as a true freshman, which should tell us not to be surprised when we see guys like Shane Lee and Christian Harris sort of go through their. Uh, tough uh, moments to go along with the bright spots. We saw it with Rolando McClain back in 2007. How about Simeon Castile or Kareem Jackson in the secondary from 2007? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, so Josh, understand. Josh, yeah, Josh Chapman, guys that could just add a little more depth, a little more push. You know, yeah. you know, there's just so many guys. And that's the thing is I just think that when you look at this team and, you know, when you go to the RPO, every RPO team's defense struggles more than it did in the past. Any team that's running this, because yeah. like I said, you know, they're getting more snaps 
The defense is getting more snaps than it's ever has. Um, <clears throat> with that said, I think there's more issues, you know, on the defensive side anyways. I see they're confused a lot. You know, you got guys going, not knowing when to be in the game, 12 men on the field and that kind of stuff. They just look confused before the snap. So I think, again, that could be inexperience with playing. They got a lot of young guys playing and uh, figuring it out and getting on the same page with their, you know, their first year defensive coordinator. Yeah, and it's it, it you said it with the RPO with different offenses, it puts you in so many different situations that as a result you become more situational in terms of your personnel. And when you watch Alabama right now because of the personnel issues, the personnel situation it is in and how it has to use so many different guys sort of as band-aids for all these different nicks and cuts that it has on defense right now, you know, you'll watch Alabama coming out of a timeout or a change of possession. And to start that possession for the opposing offense, you might see 17 or 18 guys on the field, on the field for Alabama, uh, because it's waiting to see what the personnel for the opposing offense is. So it can get guys on and off the field, whether it's going to be in its base package, whether it's going to be in its nickel package, whether it's going to be in its dime. And you're right. We talk about the 2007 defense. Hey, (laughs) 2007 offensive football couldn't be it might as well be 200 years ago you know compared to what we see in 2019 I wanted to ask you this too Tim and it is T Watts and TR on the Built by Bama online podcast if you haven't already give us a subscription if you don't mind and also maybe leave us a review while you're there um with more of the changes in offense not just at Alabama I mean we're seeing it around college football uh, more of the spread, more of the RPO. Uh, Alabama really adopted more of it, I would say, five years ago. Lane Kiffin came in. Uh, there was a commitment to more of it at that point. It certainly paid dividends that very first year with what Amari Cooper did, with what Blake Sims did. You know, Alabama made that first college football playoff field. Um, mm-hmm. Is college football, and specifically, do you think Alabama football has become for lack of a better way of saying it, softer. Is this a softer college football and a softer Alabama that we're seeing these days? I think it's soft. Yeah, I think it's softer in general. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it sort of reminds me of the NFL a little bit. You see guys less hesitant. You don't see as many big hitters <clears throat> growing You know, growing up. You know, me and you growing up, we saw guys that absolutely all they cared about was killing somebody on every play. <laughs> you, don't really, you don't really see those big hitters anymore. I mean, it's more of a finesse game. You got cover corners who can't really tackle. Um, you got a lot of linebackers that won't, you know, won't square up and hit you in the chest, but they'll knock you out at an angle. Uh, part of that's just to protect their body. Um, you know, part of that's to protect their future down the road. And that, I mean, I think it's just sort of a natural. You want to play, you want to look, you want to look good. And you don't necessarily want to, you know, get yourself hurt, which you can do. I mean, these kids, it has to be in these kids, and I mean, not just kids, but the pros' heads when you hear all this discussion about the the concussions and the yeah. brain injuries and everything else. So um, I think that goes a factor, you know, with some of my friends whose sons quit playing football. So I imagine that factors in, you know, you're less likely to get a, you know, a, you know, a Ronnie Lott who would, you know, would probably warmed up tackling a tree. You're less likely to get those guys who are going to stick their helmet, um, you know, helmet in their chest and get their neck rocked back. So I don't know if it's, it's definitely softer than what we're used to, but you know, then again, 10 years ago, it was softer than 10 years before that. And yeah. anybody that has seen seventies football knows <laughs> that it was, it was complete, uh, the mean machine. It was complete, 
uh, the longest yard defense, clubbing in the head, how those guys, Terry Bradshaw on them are alive, I have no idea. In fact, they saw us on Twitter the other day. They did the Monday night football from like the 80s preview yeah. you know, that to the game. Saw that. It, it was eight felonies. <laughs> it was eight felonies. There was there was there was two, you know, I mean, they picked Terry Bradshaw up and reverse suflexed him on his head. And yeah. then some school cardinal guy walked by and stomped. He didn't step. He yeah. stomped on a guy's chest who was laying on his back. So football's definitely changed, you know, in that aspect. And I don't want to well, stop that old timer like it's you know, it's not the same, but it's not. You know, well, remember when you could get that Sports Illustrated subscription and they throw in the big hits video, you know? Yes. As those, a, as a, <laughs> yes. That was a that was a deal closer. Things That's now that, it, as you said, would get you put in, in incarcerated. That was a deal closer for like Sports Illustrated thirty years yeah. ago. After Did every they, Steeler every Steeler game in the seventies, there would right now there'd be policemen waiting outside to arrest them. And those were the VHS videos. Those weren't even CDs back in the day, my boy. Those were. If you have a son, you don't want to play football, and you have that VHS, pop it in. You know those VHSs, <laughs> from what I recall, I got frustrated with them because I'd want to tape over them, you know, tape a show over them or something. And I don't think you could do that with those tapes. You know, you'd run out. I don't know. I'm old enough to remember. I think Tim is, too. You'd run out of clean VHS tapes, you know, and maybe you wanted to tape Family Feud or something. And you try to throw that old Sports Illustrated, you know, bloopers or big hits tape in there. And uh, they had it set up. They had it formatted, I guess, where you couldn't tape over it. I used to get upset about that back in the day. Um, Here's what it was. And I I agree. Look, between player safety and – I would say the game has just become more perimeter based too, because coaches have figured out, you know, with all this speed, they can get matchups on the outside and in open spaces that defenses can account for. And you see this in recruiting. I've heard Nick Saban hit on this too, Tim. He's talked about more so than ever. High school coaches are putting their very best talent overwhelmingly on the offensive side of the ball. In other words, if a guy was sort of a 50-50 10 or 15 years ago between being a really good corner or, or a wide receiver, you know, one out of every two of those guys would go to defense. Now it sounds like, and it's starting to look more and more like, most, if not all, these guys are going to offense if it's even close, Tim. Yeah, you see that. You know, you see a lot of these guys who are, you know, Lane, I've always said Lane and Collins would have been a college running back. Had he chose to, you know, stick on that side of the ball. Derrick Henry is another guy who ended up on offense that obviously could have played defense. But, yeah, I think, you know, people want to score touchdowns. And, you know, when you know you cover recruiting long enough, you know that everybody wants the sexy position. There's no offensive guards. Everybody's a tackle. There's no safety. Everybody's a cornerback. Nobody's an inside backer. Everybody's an outside backer. Nobody's a tight end. They're a wide receiver. So I think that's just natural. You want to score because they get the cheers. They get the cheers. They get the cheerleaders. The guys scoring the touchdown. They get a lot of the recognition. You know, Alabama's offensive line, you don't hear a lot of a lot of discussion about them, but those guys are fantastic and have had a really good year. You know, you hear a lot about Tua, deservingly. You hear a lot about the running, you know, Najee now, deservingly, and certainly the wide receivers, and they deserve it as well. You just don't get the same love in those non-scoring positions. So, yeah, you know, if I'm a guy, I want to score touchdowns, you know, because it, yeah, you know, even- think about it. Think about it this way. 
Well, think about Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs III, and Devontae Smith in the secondary. I mean, you think they? I, I think they might be just as good on the other side of the ball as they are on offense. I mean, but the value in today's game is offense. Um, you know, and and it makes me wonder, Tim. Like we saw Charles Woodson years ago. We've seen a few other instances. Are we that far away from maybe seeing more two-way guys uh, when it comes to wide receiver DB, perhaps? In the, I, I look at Henry Ruggs right now, and I think Henry Ruggs would be a hell of a middle-of-the-field safety. He could play corner, too, don't get me wrong, but I think his skill set specifically would be great at safety. I think Smith and Judy would be great corners. Um, it, it's not all that, in difficult, all that difficult to envision, is it? No, not at all. And you look at, you know, you want to go back to a flashback. I remember when Alabama, you know, Keenan Allen, he's a guy that Alabama yeah. saw strictly as a safety. Not that he couldn't play wide receiver, but, you know, a guy like that in saving secondary, imagine what Keenan could have been as a safety. Well, um, you know, ended up deciding to play wide receiver, went to college with his brother, Cal, when he flipped, and has been in the NFL, what, eight, nine years yeah. now um, as an, and a pro bowler, too. So, Definitely you see those guys that can flip over and flip up on each side. Uh, when they got speed, you know, speed, you just can't, you know, you can't coach speed, and that's on offense and defense, and and you see that. I mean, you saw what Ruggs would be like on the interception uh, a few weeks ago when he ran the dude down the sideline like it, like it was a and, cheetah, and all, you know, like, like a, yeah, like as a cheetah chasing a warthog with a broke leg. I mean, it was insane. He does it. He does it on special teams, too. I mean, you see yeah, Henry yeah, Ruggs he, III out there delivering blows you know his, just sitting the guy his, just playing two-hand touch and his high school basketball film you're talking about an athlete this guy's sticking his elbow in the rim i mean this guy yeah. could get up fast break you know you know at moving at that speed and catching an alley-oop and sticking his head in the rim that tells you how, how athletic he was he's not a super tall guy big time vertical jump and i think he's pretty tough that'd be the biggest question yeah. is how well can he tackle uh he doesn't weigh a lot but i mean Covering, oh, he's not afraid. Good. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, he's not scared at all. But he's not he scared at all. Yeah. Yeah. It is the T Watts and TR podcast here with you. Uh, it's Mississippi State Week. We're going to get into some recruiting news coming up right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back with more with the T-Watts and TR podcast. It's a part of, falls under that, Built by Bama Online podcast. Tim, uh, obviously a huge weekend on the recruiting front for Alabama. Uh, Not just official visitors of note. I know you want to hit on a couple of those. But certainly with Bryce Young, you're one of your centerpieces, if not the centerpiece for your 2020 class back in Tuscaloosa, the five-star quarterback. Yeah, you know this. You know, I know Alabama fans are a little upset Alabama lost, and a lot of people. You know, I've seen a lot of discussion on how bad this hurts a team. Uh, you know, when you you host official visitors and stuff like that, and have so many visitors and lose. I don't. I don't think that factors in. To be honest, I think fans 
take those losses way more emotionally than these kids do. I don't think these kids are making an emotional decision for the most part anyways. I've never heard in 20 plus years of doing this, I've never heard a kid say, you know, I was going to, I was going to, you know, Idaho, you know, I was going to Boise state until they lost to Idaho. And then I decided to go to Idaho. I've just never heard, heard that from anybody. The atmosphere was fantastic. It's across the board. Every kid had an A plus experience. Um, you know, Bryce Young flying into town, you know, that's a huge guy. And, you know, that's just the sort of how recruiting works. Like Alabama fans feel their cells, you know, several have said we're not getting good players. Now, if this is Bryce wasn't committed and Alabama was, you know, one of the teams he was deciding on and, the, you know, he chose to sign with Alabama in the early signing period in a big announcement, the, you know, the momentum would completely shift. And I think we're seeing that right now. I was, I was looking at the uh, trends. Of this recruiting cycle alone is pretty funny. It's because that you know for Alabama fans, it started out with Georgia was going to sweep the board. They were killing Alabama in recruiting. Georgia was going to have the best class ever. They got off to an early start. Then Clemson got hot and landed some five stars. And Clemson was going to have the best class in the history of sports. <clears throat> and then Alabama got Bryce Young. And Alabama fans said they were going to have a better class than Clemson. And then LSU got hot beat Alabama and landed Eric Gilbert and now LSU's you know the big bad wolf that's just the trends the ebbs and flows that I love about the recruiting process all four of those guys will have great classes Alabama's certainly going to have a good class with Bryce I don't think his impact and I said this when he committed I don't think his impact on a skill from a skill player standpoint will be as big this year as it will next year this year they had three wide receivers committed they were only going to take one more might be done at the running back position. They're still trying to get a tight end, of course, and he could help out there with, with uh, Darnell Washington, the five-star tight end who visited. So he's working him, so he could pay dividends there. But for the most part, Alabama was done with skilled players. But I think down the road, when you're looking at 2021 guys, because the biggest question everybody has about a good team is what? Who's going to quarterback Alabama next year? Who's going yeah. to quarterback LSU next year? And whether or not Bryce Young is the guy, they know there's a guy on campus talented enough. And not only is there a guy, on, you know, you know, that's going to be on campus talented enough, it's the biggest name in high school football this year. So yeah. they've got possibly the number one recruit in the country. So I think overall it's going to pay dividends down the road. But the visitor weekend went great, great atmosphere, great feedback, um, you know, just a tr- tremendous job by the staff and the support group. Yeah, and it is closing time, I guess, although the numbers are limited. You're right. When you talk about being able to sell that this run is anything but nearing its end, you you point at the quarterback position, man. And when you have that dude, when you have that next guy in line and understanding that Talia Tonga-Vailoa, Mac Jones, these other guys are going to have a say in it too, but there is sizzle around Bryce Young right now, and that helps you. It has to in terms of reaffirming that notion that this run has got a chance to extend for at least three more years if you got the right guy behind center. And Bryce Young looks to be uh, definitely a candidate, at least, a strong, strong candidate to do just that. Tim, uh, as we do come down the stretch here in recruiting, I had a question for you in relation to this coaching staff. You know, we know there's been a lot of turnover here the last couple of years. Uh, guys have sort of come and gone. When you look at this staff now that you've had a little bit of time to sort of see how things were going to play out on the recruiting trail, if there was one Alabama recruit left on the board that it absolutely wanted to have or to secure, 
which of these assistants, in your opinion, would be those one or two guys that Nick Saban would assign to that uh, that that recruit? You know, I think I think it's you know as far as an ace closer, I'm not sure ones really just stood out from the others at this point. I think Carl Scott and Jeff Banks are two guys that do a really good job in the season. Um, you got to remember, they, you know, a lot of these guys are in a bunker hiding during the season. Alabama's a little different when it comes to recruiting. They were that way when Kirby Smart was here and when Jeremy Pruitt was here. You wouldn't hear their name a whole lot until you know football season was over, and then they were they did a great job of closing. What's changed from that, though, is Kirby and Pruitt, would, the season would end in, in, in late December, they'd have January to recruit, where now you got the early signing period, so you really don't have that luxury. So I think right now you're looking for some guys to be distinguished here late in the process. I know Charles Huff has a big reputation. I'm curious to see what he, he can do. Um, you know, a few of these guys have a chance to, you know, grasp that role I think that Carl Scott and Jeff Banks do a pretty good job of, of manning the field as they go through the through the season. But, you know, Pete Golding has a great reputation as a recruiter. He did a really good job last year. So I think, you know, obviously his responsibility as a defensive coordinator take up a lot of his time. But I think we're going to see him in the late period, between you know, after that early signing period goes and Alabama's fate's been determined. I think we're going to see Pete step up and land some big guys. Based on who's still on the board, and how Alabama would like to close this. Uh, Nick Saban's obviously the most important uh, recruiter on the staff. But again, from an assistance perspective, who, who is the, the most important recruiter uh, in, in terms of closing out this class, or is, is there a couple of these guys? Yeah, I think it's a team effort with this group more than any. You know, Alabama in the past, they've always had good recruiters, but a lot of that does go to Nick Saban. Um, a lot of that goes to the University of Alabama as well. I mean, I've had former staff members tell me how much easier it is to recruit with that A on their chest than it is at other schools. So that makes sense. Obviously, these guys work hard. They have a history of working hard. Saban in Alabama is going to sell itself. Um, but you got to work it. I mean, you got to build relationships. So um, I think at the end of the day, Nick's always going to be the closer. <laughs> you know, I think he's going to be the guy that goes in. Uh, he's very honest. He's very direct. I mean, I think it, at times it's cost him kids, but I, I just think he's an honest guy. So um, as far as the closer, the big name guys, they're so spread out nationally. You know, you know, when Alabama first got here, you know, you had Lance Thompson go to Mobile and land yeah. 10 kids. So Lance did a great job. He's down there getting Mark Barron, Julio Jones and, and B.J. Scott and all those guys. But Alabama's so spread out now. You don't see that nearly as much. Alabama's recruiting so national, so they're they're spread thin, so everybody gets a little piece of it. Yeah, as we get closer to this uh, early signing period, it uh, we got a change in the weather, man. I don't know uh, what has happened here in the last day or so, but uh, definitely it looks like maybe we're going to skip fall, just go straight into winter here in the state of Alabama. Uh, and we like to have a little fun on the podcast, too. So as we wrap things up on the latest edition of T. Watts and TR, couple of uh, we like to talk food, if you haven't noticed as of yet. Me and Tim do. Uh, best cold weather food going, Tim. If you had to pick one dish for cold weather, what would you what would you go with? Uh, you know, I love I love something warm that's been in the crock pot all day. I don't know if that's just the old man in me or not. My wife makes a great white bean chili, uh, white bean chicken chili type deal that I love. Uh, it's got a little kick to it. She puts it in there, cooks it the day before, sits overnight, 
reheats and it, you know, she, you know, that knocks it out of the ballpark. Taco soup's another one. When it's cold, I really don't want a sandwich. I don't want a grill. I don't want anything like that. Of course, I can always go with rent wings, but that'd probably be the go-to. In fact, I think she cooked it last night for today. Yeah. What about uh, are you that guy that when the wife gets the crock pot going, she has to keep telling you to stay out of the pot, you know, all day, kind of like the dad with the turkey on a Christmas story? Are you that guy? No, I'm the guy that waits till she's can't see me and goes and eats it, so she doesn't tell <laughs> me to stay out of it. I like I'm sneak qual- to the yeah. <laughs> I'm a quality control guy. I'm quality control guy. That's the way I write it off is look, I got to keep tasting it for salt, you know, for kick. Yeah. You know, we want to, we want to do this as the process moves along. I'm definitely. It's like I tell my kids when they have something great to eat and I don't have it, I'll say, hey, I need to check that and make sure it's not poisoned. Exactly. Give me those chili cheese tater tots. Hey, you don't know what's in there. Let me let dad take the one for the team here. So I like to sneak in there and protect the children. It's like the Halloween candy when they're too little and young to know any better that that's exactly what we're doing as much as we are checking from a safety perspective. Uh, one more before we get out of here. Best cut of steak. Favorite cut of steak for Tim Watts. What do you what's your go to there? I guess I like the I got I like the ribeye. I like the fat. You I, know, I, need that, I need that fat to get in there. I mean, a fillet's good, but it's you know, it's almost all really good meat. I can't eat it too well done. I need it kind of, you know, sort of that medium rare, not too bloody, but medium rare. I need it soft. When it gets hard, like I see my kids, they eat it, and it is literally the the bottom of one of my shoes. It is so well done. <laughs> I mean, I could slap them in the head and go to prison for child abuse. That's what I say. It's steak's too hard. Um, I like a little fat on mine, so I like I like that uh, that ribeye. If it weren't for folks who like their steaks overly cooked, we wouldn't need a one. Or any of these steak sauces. I mean, that's the only reason why you're eating steak sauce. Yes, to, yes. That you need some. You need to choke a, it a, down. But yeah. you need a lubricant. That ain't going down yeah. without some help. I'm bone-in ribeye guy, and they're yeah. awful for you from a fat content. But that's where the taste is at. Now yeah. I've gotten I've gotten to where I can eat more fillets, but I, I'm with you. It has to be pretty much medium rare to rare. You know, for for but but the, I've I've gotten more and more in touch with the fillet side of me, I guess. But I if I can only pick one, I'm going bone in ribeye. I mean, if that's my last meal, well, I mean, what does it matter at that if point, right? If you're on de- if you're on death row, yeah, that's definitely the one. Now, I will say there's these. Uh, <laughs> my wife does these uh, mushrooms with the fillets that adds they're juicy, and you add it with the fillet, and it adds a little bit of to help get it down too. So that that you sort of can mix it in with some vegetables. But that you know that can run the steak as well. So uh, for me, I need to cut. I need a little cut a little bit of that fat, add it to the meat, yeah. get at it, yeah. and go at it. Do you grill during the winter? I mean, yeah, like, do I, you I do. Grill? But no, when it's like 35 out, I, I'm not that hardy. You know, I'm not that hardcore. I can't no. believe this weather. I was out yesterday. It was 70 degrees. And I don't. I'm the guy that never looks at the weather. I'll walk out the door into a blizzard and not even know, have no clue. Me I'll too. be wearing, you know, I'll be wearing a, you know, a sleeveless shirt, flip flops and, you know, cargo shorts. And um, so I had no idea I was going to get this cold today. You know, I wake up and the kids are bundled up. And I'm like, what is going on? She's like, the, you know, there's like the highest 33. And I said, so, you know, what is it? That was, it it what was 20. It was 20 degrees warmer at midnight, Tim, than it is in the middle of the day. Put it that way. That's how, how that, big a change. I, how does it get colder when the sun comes up? Someone on BOL, someone on BOL, much smarter than me, PM me. 
How's it get colder when the sun comes up? I know there's yeah, a maybe we'll maybe we need to get James Spann in here for a pod. Absolutely, you know? I love maybe, that. Maybe that, maybe that, guy, that guy is one of the bravest men in the world. I you follow think? Twitter. I do because I've never. Oh, yeah. He's predicting the weather, and I'm. <laughs> no way. I mean, yeah. I mean, we might miss our crystal ball picks on a recruit and catch a, a little bit of heat every now and then. But this dude, if he don't nail yeah. 68 across the board, they are killing him. Yeah. I mean, they, they are literally killing him for not for not being able to predict the weather. And the guy, he, he keeps it entertaining. Um, he does. Yeah, he does. He keep, I don't know him, but he does a good job. He keeps it entertaining. I still love the people to get mad. The I John Wayne. People. He's the John Wayne of weather is what I call well, it. I, I just love the people that get mad when yeah. they're they're showing the tornado warnings in areas and it's not in their area and they're 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 pissed because they can't see the show <laughs> Gotham. You know, Gotham's only in an eight inch screen now, you know. You I know, was trying to watch my Sanford and Sons repeat, you know, and you're breaking okay. in. Wow, yeah. we're so we're so news, you know, not paying attention to the weather. We were sitting at the table and I had friends over and I had people texting me that Make sure we were all right because a tornado was hitting Alabaster like seven years ago. Yeah. And I didn't know it. I'm sitting here in the kitchen. Kids probably out in the front yard throwing the football. We're sitting in the kitchen with some friends, and I got people in other states checking on me. Yeah. Like, hey, hey we're here. And there's a bad storm in Alabaster. I was like, shoot, let me turn on the let me turn on the weather. And pray yeah. You turn it on, and James James has got those suspenders on and those uh, sleeves rolled up. You know what time yeah, it is. He's you know looking down the glasses, and he's telling us it's bad. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. I think we're good, Tim. What do you think, man? Put a wrap on this thing. Think, All right. There's a lot of football left. I say that for Alabama fans. There's a lot of recruiting left. It's fool's gold to try to predict those top four teams. Um, personally, I think Alabama still is a top four team. They're obviously not number one in the country. I'd go LSU for sure. But I think Alabama is one of the four best teams. I'll tell you this. Let's leave you with this. I was discussing this yesterday. If Alabama was to play any of these other teams that are being discussed for the fourth seed prematurely, what would the point spread be if Alabama played Baylor or Minnesota or uh, if Alabama played Oklahoma, Oregon, or Utah? They would be pretty considerable favorites over all yeah, those teams. Yeah, a minimum of a couple touchdowns and not over, only that, over it, all those teams. Some of them probably more along the lines of 17 to, to 20. Right. Yeah. So that tells you they're better than those guys on paper. Also, I'll go one step further. What would the spread be if Alabama played Clemson? What if they played LSU again on a neutral field? What line are we looking at? Yeah. That, that sort of can tell you. Like well, LSU. It, it's so hard to get money in on Alabama. Um, you know, in some ways these days because Alabama has been so dominant, it's hard to get people to bet. Uh, on Alabama or against Alabama. Right. So you have to set a line, even if you don't in your heart of hearts, think it's exactly the way the game would play out to get money in uh, against Alabama. You know, you, you, you would probably see, and this might surprise some people you, at worst, Alabama would be pick them with like Clemson and LSU right now on neutral. That's fields. what I, so to me, that's sort of like if you're choosing the four best teams and that's what you think, they pro- if it plays out like we think it might, which it never yeah. plays out like we think it will, um, I would think Alabama's in the discussion. But I also say the back, the the Bama burnout, it's real. I haven't seen a oh, yeah. single person 
since that loss mentioned the fact that Tua played hurt. Nobody even mentions it. It's just it's well, been. I, I think I think a lot of people started writing and commentating when it was thirty three to thirteen at the half. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I, and, I you, and, if I'm an LSU fan, I'm offended because yeah. they're acting like Alabama lost played an egg. Yes. Yeah. They played a great team with great coaches, with great players, with a great quarterback, and they lost. Yeah. You know, that's that's the yeah. thing. It's almost insulting, like, oh my God, they lost to LSU. That that's pretty good that's pretty good football team. It is. And with that we'll leave you with the latest edition of T Watts and TR on the Built by Bama online podcast. Tim, as always, appreciate it. Look forward to doing it again next week. Thanks, guys. See you on the round table. See you on the round table there, the message board, of course, of choice at BamaOnline.com. Continuing coverage of Alabama football, Alabama recruiting, Alabama hoops, Alabama basketball recruiting as well at BamaOnline.com. For Tim Watts, I'm Travis Schreier. Thanks again for joining us. We'll talk to you again real soon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.